Hi, Podcast Brunch Club. A quick thanks to our organizational partners, The Ven, which puts out a weekly list of hand-picked, nonpartisan political podcasts that makes it quick and simple to learn more about the big political issues surrounding the 2020 U.S. election. Critical Frequency, an all-women-owned and operated podcast network for independent creators and those who are often overlooked in mainstream media. Podchaser, the IMDb of podcasts that offers amazing search and list creation. Listen Notes, a powerful podcast search engine that also offers list creation. And Audioboom, a podcast network featuring funny, inspiring, entertaining, and thought-provoking podcasts. Go find these companies. They are great for both content and discovery, and they support and give back to the listener community. If you're an individual or an organization and you want to support the amazing listener community, think about becoming a supporter. Go to patreon.com slash podcast brunch club. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Podcast Brunch Club podcast. I'm Steve, leader of the Minneapolis chapter of the club. Our theme this month is Understanding China, and today we'll be speaking to Kaiser Kuo, the host of Seneca podcast, featured on the playlist. The episodes we featured this month were The China Questions with Jennifer Randolph and Michael Zonyi, and Howard French on how China's past shapes its present ambitions. Kaiser Kuo is the founder and co-host of Seneca podcast and the editor-at-large at SupChina.com an independent digital media company dedicated to informing, entertaining, and educating a global audience about business, technology, politics, and culture in China. In addition to Kaiser's credentials, he's also credited as starting China's first heavy metal band. Kaiser, welcome to the show. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's our pleasure. So, as podcast enthusiasts, we'd love to get a behind-the-scenes look at how these shows get made. So, could you tell us a little bit about the history of your podcast, your work at SubChina, and the team that makes it all possible? Sure. Uh, we're a really small team. Uh, Jeremy Goldcorn and I were friends. We'd been kicking around in Beijing at the time for well over a decade already. Uh, both of us have been living as expatriates there since the mid-1990s. And uh, we were both people who had worked extensively in, in media in China. Uh, he ran a very popular blog that turned into sort of a, a, a bridge website where he did a lot of translations of Chinese language news and did you know a lot on, on media uh, in China. And I had run a website in the early 2000s and then had been a reporter for, for quite a number of years already at the time that we sort of were having beers one night and thought, hey, uh, what do you, what podcasts are you listening to? And we rattled off our list. And it was, you know, it was just 2010. So it was, you know, the old familiar list before the, the Cambrian explosion of podcasts. And we, we asked, hey, so w what China podcasts are you listening to? We weren't aware of any. Neither of us were. And we, we decided that we had to remedy that situation. And right there and then, we decided that we were going to do one. It happened that we had a good friend who was in the Chinese language instructional game. And he had a studio, microphones, and a setup for doing you know recordings. And he actually was a podcast-based Chinese language learning system. So uh, we figured he would have a ready audience. We could actually bring customers to him if he hosted a current affairs show. So he was really game for it. He said, yeah, sure, come on in, just record whenever you guys want, and uh, I will edit and upload, cover all of your hosting costs. And he figured that he would, you know, he would get customers as a result of that. And it worked out splendidly. And so 
for our first six years of existence, we we were there in Beijing doing it. Uh, I moved in 2016 to the States. Jeremy had had left uh, more than a year before me. And we, in 2016, we were acquired by SUP China. So Jeremy and I were both brought on. Jeremy's work has drifted more toward the newsletter end of it, uh, but I have sort of taken responsibility for not just Seneca, but for the whole network. So that, that's our, our history in a nutshell. Sure. So uh, as you were talking a little bit before the show, you had mentioned that you know, Seneca is a whole podcast network. Can you tell us a little bit about the other shows on your network? Sure. Uh, there are a total of seven shows in the network. So Cynic is still sort of the flagship show and it still does, you know, a little more traffic than the rest of them combined. Although we hope that that's going to change because there's some really excellent ones in the network. The second one is just a, a news roundup that we we put out on Mondays. Uh, it's called the Caixin Seneca Business Brief. Caixin is the name of a very well-known business magazine, business and finance magazine in China. They're known for doing really hard-hitting investigative reporting. And they have uh, a, a branch called Caixin Global, which is in English. So we collaborate on, on that weekly podcast. It's just sort of a news roundup with short interviews with their reporters and editors. Then we have an excellent one called China Econ Talk, uh, done by a young man named Jordan Schneider, who just finished up a master's degree in Beijing. So he's still living in Beijing now, working for a Chinese technology company, and does just great interviews. It's a it's sort of an interview format show that's more focused on macroeconomics than on business. We have two shows that are around women in China. One is called New Voices, which is sort of a pun on the Chinese word for for female, which is new, which sounds a little like new. And it is, it features new voices. It's hosted by Alice Xin Liu, who's a very well-known translator, and Joanna Chu, who's a reporter who was until recently based in China. Uh, they, they focus on women mainly in the arts and letters. The second show is called Ta for Ta, which is focused now on, on women sort of at the top of their professional game. We have a great podcast that's hosted, it happens by two women, called the Pandaily Tech Buzz China. Pandaily is the name of their publication, but uh, we host the podcast. It's really great. It's just a, uh, it's two women who are, who've been involved in the technology scene in China for a very long time, just going really, really deep in to technology companies in China. Finally, we have an excellent podcast called Middle Earth. I mean, it's a little confusing. It has nothing to do with Tolkien at all. It's about the culture industry in China. So they focus on things like documentary filmmakers, on on you know feature filmmakers as well, on video games, on on theatrical productions, on anything having to do with culture in China. It's it's really cool. So as our theme this month illustrates, Westerners have really little understanding of China. So, as a journalist who writes about China for Western audiences, can you give us your perspective on why that might be and how that shapes your work? You know, it's it's really frustrating. Uh, I don't think that there's some grand conspiracy of Western media to to shame China or to make it look bad. I don't think that American people are simply lacking in curiosity about China, but I think there are structural impediments. I mean, first of all, look, Americans, we don't know that much about any country. I mean, even countries with really long borders right next to ours, Mexico, I mean, I think it would be difficult for most Americans to name three states in, in Mexico or three former presidents of the country. We have a great deal of difficulty with that. Uh, few people, I think, are familiar at all, except just based on stereotypes that we've seen, you know, drug cartels and then kidnappings and then, of course, uh, you know, the flow of, of undocumented workers into the United States. It's very unfortunate. Uh, 
but when it comes to China, a country on the other side of the world, it's even more remote. What what we have is a situation where we have excellent coverage, very, very good news coverage of China, but they're not going to write about the quotidian. They're not going to write about the everyday. They're going to focus on events that are, you know, frankly, newsworthy. And those will often be instances of governmental or big business malfeasance. This will be about environmental degradation. These will be stories that, that are sort of inherently negative. Now, that's not the fault of the news organizations themselves. I think it's really built in. Our, our news industry is supposed it's adversarial by design. The problem is that when you use that model and you take it abroad in covering you know, a country on the other side of the world, look, you don't have the leisure of expecting people to have the lived experience of, of being in China. I mean, very few of us have ever lived there. We can't get it in context. We sort of assume that the six or seven stories we read in the New York Times each day that touch on China give us a, a total picture of the place, and they, they don't. So I think that you need to just sort of understand the optical properties of this lens through which we view China and understand the way that it refracts and the way that it distorts. And what, if you keep that in mind, I think it's it's possible to get a better idea. You, you really need to, to educate yourself quite deliberately. You need to go out and read quite a bit of history. You need to go out and look for news sources that aren't just the sort of everyday, the, the, the Times and the wire services and the Washington Post and so forth. And that's that's difficult for most people to do. Yeah, and so with these structural impediments in place in our media, you have a very diverse selection of podcasts like you just listed. Um, is that part of your tactic in reaching a Western audience, kind of hit all the different categories, hopefully grab people by different interests? Yeah, I think that's part of it. I mean, we really, I think the antidote for all of this, there are two things. We need more breadth, a, a range of topics, and we do that by having you know multiple shows, and hopefully we'll be adding new ones in, in the near future as well. But also by giving more than a few column inches to, to the treatment of a story. I mean, an hour-long podcast, you can really unpack uh, an issue. Seneca really started off. Our, our, our real sort of main product in, in the early days was talking to reporters and getting them to really unpack the stories that they had done to you know, show us what had been left on the cutting room floor to talk about the process, to provide the context that didn't make its way into, into that necessarily abridged version that ran in the newspaper. So I think that was really the idea. The two things, like I said, a breadth or bigger range of coverage and greater depth uh, and provision of more context and, and more nuance. Well, with so much content you're producing, is there anything at SubChina or more particularly Seneca Podcasts that you'd like to highlight as maybe your favorite or notable pieces that you've worked on? Yeah, I mean, so SubChina does all sorts of great reporting. We do quite a few sort of big roundups. Uh, a few months ago, we did, for example, a roundup of a lot of the reporting that had been done on the current atrocity happening in Xinjiang in the uh, northwestern part of China, uh, where the Uyghur people who are an ethnic minority in China by some estimates, as many as a million or more have been put into these essentially concentration camps for supposed re-education. This is something that's you know quite unconscionable, but uh, people don't really know enough about. And SubChina, I think, did an excellent job of really rounding up all of the, the stories that had been done on that. Uh, related to that, we've done quite a bit of coverage on 
this is a cynical podcast about this. I would refer people to the very first podcast that we did on the issue, really right when people were just beginning to be aware of it, with um, a journalist named Jerry Shu. He spells the same G E R R Y, Jerry Shu. Then uh, a couple of podcasts that we did with Nuri Turkel, who is an activist based in Washington, D.C., uh, an activist on the Uyghur rights issue. So there's those, but I think there's there's a ton of great interviews that we've been really lucky enough to have. People who want to know what's going on with the trade situation right now. We recently did a live show in New York City with Charlene Barshevsky. Charlene Barshevsky was the uh, U.S. trade representative in the late 1990s who actually negotiated China's entry into the World Trade Organization, the WTO. And she's extraordinarily knowledgeable about all things related to trade, which is, of course, very important at this moment. I would also point people to some shows that we've done with prominent diplomats and politicians. Uh, one in, in particular I can think of is a three-part series we did with Chaz W. Freeman Jr., who was one of the true greats in the early opening of the United States to uh, of China to the United States. Uh, he was actually the personal translator for Richard Nixon in 1972 when he visited China. And went on to become the U.S. ambassador to Saudi Arabia, but is you know his really his roots are in his expertise on China. So we did a three-hour-long interview with him. We ran it in three parts, and I, I highly recommend that one. So, Kaiser, there's been a few articles over the last year, I'd say, that I've noticed uh, that have highlighted the popularity of podcasting in China. So last fall, both NPR's Marketplace and Hot Pods' Nicholas Qua talked about the growing market and. It, Podcasting definitely is a worldwide phenomena. So, can you give us your perspective on podcasting in China or even audio media as a whole, seeing as you actually podcasted out of the country and now speak about China daily? Yeah, the podcast world in China is is a, a quite different world, and it's it's different really even from what I do, in large part because it's in the Chinese language and what we do is entirely in English. So we address very different audiences, but it, it is absolutely growing. There are a few podcasts from China that, you know, I'll, I'll occasionally listen to. My wife, for example, consumes a lot of them. And so usually it's sort of, I'm kind of in the kitchen with her and she's listening to one and I'm just sort of listening next to her. So I don't, I don't, I tend not to actively subscribe to too many, but there was one that was highlighted in, in the New York times recently by a, a great writer named Amy Chin, Q-I-N, and, and it sort of bills itself as the This American Life for China. And uh, the name of it eludes me right now, but you can look at the, the article and, and check that one out if you happen to be a Mandarin speaker. I've listened to a couple of episodes, and it's terrific. I think the, um, the mainstream, though, of Chinese podcasts, they tend to be less about sort of entertainment or less uh, less about just sort of uh, reflection on on you know on what's happening in life they definitely steer away from politics just necessarily in China that's just sort of an off-limits area for most media companies and instead a lot of them are focused on business a lot of them are on sort of the health self-helpy end of business on you know business strategies on you know, it's stuff that you'd find in the uh, in sort of the popular business sections of of, of bookstores this is not stuff that I'm particularly interested in. And so, yeah, I tend not to listen to too many of them, but there's an awful lot in that genre in China, a lot of investing tips kinds of podcasts. Yeah. And honestly, most of the reporting 
has been on these kind of self-help or, um, you know, self-improvement podcasts and a lot of them being paid. I was just kind of wondering if that was an accurate synopsis of podcasting in China. And it sounds like it at least partly is. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's quite accurate. Uh, there are, yeah, there are a few others, but I mean that's really the exception. And again, I mean part of this is because of the restrictions that are placed on on the kind of media that people can produce and consume in China. So yeah, you wouldn't find something like you know the whole crooked media empire there. You know, Pod Save the World, Pod Save America, and, and what have you. <laughs> All right, well. I wish we had more time to talk, but I just want to finish up with one of our last questions here for the episode. I always like to ask anyone who's on their show what they've been listening to in podcasting. So, what do you like to listen to? What are you listening to? What do you want to recommend to our our listeners? Yeah, so I'm, I, there's a few that I would I would really want to plug. One is called Hi-Fi Nation. It's part of the Slate Network. Hi-Fi is H-I hyphen P-H-I. It's uh, by a guy, a Vassar professor named Barry Lamb. Barry actually spent some time down in my neck of the woods, and I got to know him then when he was just you know starting his podcast off. It got picked up by Slate later on. It does philosophy, sort of uh, made made relevant to real world situations. It's just a terrific, terrific show. Really well produced, uh, really thought provoking every time. Hi Fi Nation. Another that I really like is one by a an historian by the name of Brad Harris. Uh, it's called Context, where. You know, he's he's sort of a historian of ideas, and he's uh, uh, he's well steeped in, in history history of science and technology, and he tends to look at uh, in this series books that have been really impactful uh, in sort of American intellectual life, and does really good deep dives and analyses of these of these books. So it's it's very thinky, but uh, Harris himself is a formidable mind and, and quite an original thinker. Well, thanks. I'm sure you'll get some people listening to those this month. So, uh, just before we finish, can you let the listeners know how they can get in touch with you through social media or any other means? Yeah. So, I, you can find me easily on Twitter at Kaiser Quo. That's K-A-I-S-E-R-K-U-O. On Facebook, I don't have... I, mean, I guess we do... The SupChina News has a page. Uh, the SupChina News account on, on Twitter as well. It's just at SupChina News. And anyone can email me at just kaiser at SupChina.com. Perfect. Thanks. So thanks everyone for tuning into the podcast. If you want to remember the Podcast Brunch Club, be sure to head over to podcastbrunchclub.com and sign up. We'll be back throughout the month with more creator interviews and roundup episode with Adela and Sarah. Thanks for being on the show, Kaiser. Thank you, Steven. Until next time, happy listening. Hey, it's Steve again. Just got to read some credits. First of all, I want to thank everybody for listening to my first interview for the Podcast Brunch Club. I'm a little rusty and I didn't have the settings on my equipment quite right, but I'll get better. I promise. The music you heard today is downloaded from Free Music Archive, and this episode featured music from Chad Crouch with their song, Rainbow. The ad music at the top of the show is from Ms. Algana with their song, Paradise. Podcast Brunch Club is organized by the one, the only, Adela. Sarah De Silva is our other podcast host, the leader of the Houston chapter of PBC, and founder of Audible Feast. Lastly, audio editing is done by me, Steve Zampanti. You can connect with me on my website, conceptualpodcasting.com. Thanks, and happy listening!